everyone. I'm Paul Ponte. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake podcast. I'm here today with Boone Ashlock, luchador extraordinaire, worker for Hood Slam. How you doing today, Boone? That is exactly how I tell my girlfriend to introduce me when she says, like, what do I call you? I say professional wrestler, luchador extraordinaire. And she just looks at me. But I'm glad that somebody got it right. There you go. See? there. You know, you put in the work, you train lucha. What do you think, you know... It's like people who say, you know, I'm doctor so-and-so. I worked for it. Uh, you know, I guess I'll go ahead and start off this whole thing with just that. I mean, we're in quarantine, shelter in place, whatever you want to use the terms for. Uh, you're a pro wrestler. You engage with people, not just your peers, but every week you're engaging with audiences. How are you scratching that itch right now? Oh, um, not scratching the itch, letting it build and fester. You know, uh, we do the Hood Slam does the weekly sitcom shows at Hood Slam and on Twitch, which dot com backslash Hood Slam. But it, it's not the same. Even being in the the live chat for the live streams, kind of gets the itch because at least you know I I see the fans that always come. There's a guy named I think Nasty Mike and Chainsaw that are always in the chat. So it's like you know even if I'm not booked on that show, for it's a you know the Glam, which is the woman's weekly, uh, the woman's monthly. Hmm. I still get a you know scratch that itch a little bit, but now it's there's nothing live. It's all pre-recorded. Yeah, that's uh, it's tough. You know, you gotta imagine it's tough for you know. You hear the guys in the bigger companies complaining, and rightfully so. It sucks for everyone, but you know it's the smaller promotions that are taking a, a massive hit right now. Uh, so of course, if you like an independent promotion, say. Hood Slam. Uh, let's give out that website because they do have merchandise still for sale. Yes, birdswillfall.com and then backslash merch is the merchandise. And uh, I'm going to say my favorite thing, considering the times, is probably the Nurse Ratchet giving the quarantine. Uh, they don't have any mask, but I'm sure you can make a mask t-shirt tutorial. Absolutely. Yep. My favorite shirt I saw in there was the, uh, if you're a fan of wearing California stuff, which if you live in California, who isn't? Uh, they have a California bear giving a, what looks to be a Stone Cold Stunner on someone. And uh, yeah. it's fantastic looking. Um, I had a, one of those uh, airbrush shirts as a kid, you know, Bay Area 707. Oh, those are Yeah. It had, the, had the bridge in the back. And then uh, actually I contracted one out recently that hopefully will be released just as a one-off if anybody wants it. It's going to be an R.I.P. Richard shirt because at some point in this year, whenever things pick back up, I will murder Richard Chenery. Something to look forward to in this dark, dark time. Uh, So as far as, you know, interacting with the fans, doing all that, you also do some acting as well. Yeah. Um, Uh, And some of Jesus' stuff. Yeah. Our mutual friend Jesus Cruz um, does short films. And that was one of my goals as a kid prior to pro wrestling was to be a comedian. So it was really neat to be able to be booked in uh, two of his films and then another film called The Black Stuff. And then I did some of my own YouTube videos, you know, when I was around 18, 19. But, you know, I, I got a, I got that out of my system, too. So it was, it was cool to be able to kind of live out almost all of my childhood dreams except maybe getting married. But, you know, I was a, a pro wrestler. Uh, in some ways, I was a politician, uh, a judge, a comedian, 
a baseball player, played for a, a local team. Uh, I used to live on Treasure Island. And for Fourth of July, we had, you know, the big game. It was Treasure Island versus Sierra Buena, which is, the, of course, the island you drive through on the Bay Bridge. So it was the Hillbillies versus the Flatlanders. And, <laughs> and uh, the game ended early because we ended up getting slaughtered once we switched pitchers. Mm. But, you know, we did have a team and we did, you know, train every day for about three weeks until July 4th. Did you ever uh, do any open mics? No, I never did any open mics. Uh, I went to some a open mic of Jesus's, but I never did any myself. Yeah, as a person, I did open mics. Uh, now I do open mics for music, but I used to do open mics for comedy. And uh, doing those, I'll tell you, uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier doing the music ones, I will say. Yeah, uh, yeah because it, at least you could fill out the sound with guitar. You know, you're not waiting for people to start laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I just picked up uh, the keyboard. Oh, nice. So I don't expect it to take off. I just had some time on my hands and you can only do so many wrestling seminars. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I play guitar normally. And then uh, I decided, oh, you know what else I should do? Ukulele time. So now I ordered one of those and that's what I'm learning now. Uh, Uh, Any other hobbies you're picking up? God awful amount of wrestling seminars. Uh, There is a lot out there right now. I also went back and ordered some of the old DVDs from like RF video. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But uh, actually, the ukulele, the Great Bambina, uh, just repicked up the ukulele during quarantine as well. Yeah. It's a, uh, you, you go in thinking like, oh, it's a smaller instrument. I've already played guitar. It should be perfectly fine and easy. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's a, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. That was one of my choices instead of uh, the keyboard was the ukulele because it was smaller. And you can still do the beats while playing, but it's just like, uh, no, not not for Sour Boom. So for the acting stuff, like, how did that influence anything you were doing in the ring? Did it help at all with storytelling, with anything like that, as far as creating a character or anything? Not at all. Really? But the, but the in-ring stuff helped with the acting. Okay, how so? Uh, improv, because Jesus allows a lot of improv during, when he's recording. And... It's just easy to flow with the other comedians who actually are stand-up comedians. Okay. Yeah, I imagine, especially, you know, if you're cutting a promo or if you're in the ring and you're interacting with fans, there is a lot of natural improv you got to have to have because people are screaming stuff or yelling things. And uh, even if they're doing it, you know, they did it at Lucha shows and they're going to do it at Hood Slam. Uh so how would the crowds compare as far as that kind of stuff? Are who's nastier? The if they're if you're a heel, who's nastier? Like what's going on as far as lucha versus a hood slam? A hood slam is always nastier because I mean it, it's a bunch of people who a lot of them are hood slam fans, fifty percent, mm-hmm. and then fifty percent are you know just people who've never seen wrestling before and they have certain expectations. And when you show up in sequins. It may not be their expectations. <laughs> and, so it's, uh, I, it's interesting. I've won, I remember these two friends, and I totally won one of them over, and the other one, not at all. Like the other, his friend was like con- jeering at me the whole match. I jeered back, um, but his his buddy right next to him was all about me. So, you know, that's uh, you're not that far off from uh, being a comedian because I can tell you when you're. Uh, 
even when on the times I did good on on stand up, uh, I always focus in on the one guy who wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> so you're not that far off. Uh, yeah. Uh, w- after one hood slam, a woman came up to me and said, "You know how funny, my, you know everything was, and how funny my, me specifically was." And she really enjoyed watching Sweet Boone at the time. Yeah. See, that's nice. There you go. So. When you're going, we're talking about the the interaction between the crowd and everything. How's the interaction between the wrestlers? You trained Lucha for a bit, for those who don't know, who are checking this out. Uh, then you went and did Hood Slam, which was your goal. Uh, so how did the, the, the politics between workers vary when you were doing both things? The Lucha locker rooms are real friendly. It also helps, you know, being one of the only... Uh, white guys in a locker room that where everybody's speaking Spanish and I speak Spanish well enough. And then the American locker rooms are a little bit more clicky. When you have a mixed locker room, they kind of divide over the language barrier some, but the Lucha guys, you know, they're they're always joking around and they always want to make somebody laugh at somebody else's expense. Mm. And there's a guy named, uh, uh, Guerrero Universal from Michoacan. And he came, called me over, you know, bigotes come over here. I have a new stretcher. You want to try it out? So he made me pull up my foot, like I was stretching my quads. And then pull up. Actually, this is a good moment if any of your viewers have a a roommate, since we don't have friends around, but have a roommate around, grab them and tell them to do this. Tell them to grab their foot and stretch their quads. Then tell them to put their elbow up here to stretch their neck and under their arms. Now tell them to slowly look to their left elbow and ah, look to their right. <laughs> and I guess maybe I, I should have played that day to the locker room. So maybe I've already, people have already seen it. So that there was that expectation as well. But I, I like, oh, you got me. But fortunately, we did it. I think we cashed in on the joke and did it two or three more times. It's almost like back in high school when, uh, yeah, yeah, when you have the stuff of like, oh, uh, try to see if you can lift yourself up while someone's sitting on your on your stomach, and then, yeah, exactly. And then someone shows up later, and you're like, hey, come try it out. So you know everyone else has seen it, and they're all kind of like waiting patiently. Yeah, the high school locker room versus the lucha locker room, very similar, and even the American locker room where it spits out and clicks and language barriers. Yeah, how was how about as far as you know? I mean, Hood Slam's known to be pretty uh, inclusionary. So, yeah. so would you say that the locker room was it as you expected it to be based on the reputation? You know, I got pulled in there uh, once or twice prior, so I okay. had kind of seen it before. But it, it it is exceptionally inclusionary, and people are very friendly, even though kind of unbeknownst to me. I did have to earn my stripes because nobody knew who I was except Sheik. Um, there was one moment that one of the guys wasn't being so friendly. It was Kenny K. He didn't want to share his peanut M&Ms with Hip Hop Harry. Didn't. Wouldn't do it. And I like them both, especially Kenny and Hip Hop Harry. So the next show, I show up with, you know, peanut M&Ms and I give some to Harry. And, you know, there's a little joke about it. And then Kenny says something where, you know, that doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. So I show up with a family pack or the party pack next time. And I like very off in front of him, like share with Harry and share with everybody. 
And he like blows it off. Like that's not a party pack. That's only enough for like one person, maybe two sittings. All right, okay. So the next time I show up with a vase full of M&Ms and then he's like, okay, you got me. You know, I love how extra you are. But I, you know, I kept until he was gonna share, I was like gonna keep bumping it up. So I ended up being like the, the snack mom in the locker room. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would bring uh, uh, meat in deli trays to, for everybody to eat. I'd bring bread and dip for everybody to eat, Capri Suns, no oranges. That's not a bad way to ingratiate yourself pretty quickly with some people. Yeah. Yeah. What made you, uh, so we talked, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, I mentioned that you, your goal was to be, to go to hood slam and you, instead you started out with Lucha. Uh, what's the reason for starting out with Lucha? And then why was the goal hood slam? I wasn't into, you know, I watched during the attitude era, I fell off. And then I, when I was working graveyard at my previous job, my coworker kept talking about modern wrestling and I had no way to relate to him. He kept mentioning Lucha Underground, Lucha Underground, Lucha Underground. So finally I said, fine, I'll download an episode. I downloaded an episode, was hooked, but it runs in seasons. And once that season was over, I had to get my fix in. So I started going to local indie shows. I ended up getting hooked on Hood Slam, started bringing my friend and both of us would go every month to the first Fridays. And I just, had an idea of a gimmick that I wanted to do, but I figured nobody else would do it like me. Having said that, that, there's no way I could have ever done it. You know, What's it's just my size, like, clearly, this is impossible. And so I was just, like, watching, you know, Lucha highlight videos, and I saw one from Rob Viper from Mascarita Dorada, and I was just like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. If this mini can do the coolest shit I've ever seen, I can do something. You know, I can, I can do like an arm drag or a hip toss and I can do this gimmick. So I emailed Hood Slam like, what kind of experience are you guys looking for? Pro wrestling experience was the return email. So I looked around to find the best school for me, you know, to learn Lucha because that's what I want to do. I didn't understand that luchadors have trouble working with Americans or that, you know, the two styles clashed as much as they really do. It's much harder to blend the two than what it would seem. So I went to five different schools and I chose Jason's uh, because he wasn't trying to sell me anything. He could, he could, he couldn't care less whether I was there or I decided it wasn't for me. And they taught Lucha there. And I had seen Jason at a Lucha show in East Oakland. And it was very clear the, the most of Lucha guys they had, Jason, and then like Bestia and Damien and everybody else was just a step above Jason. But it was very clear to see that Jason was the best locally. Yeah, and, and from all the stuff, I've known Jason for years. Jason Styles is who we're talking about. I've known him for years, and I've seen him in a lot of shows. And he works both styles pretty well. Yeah. And, he, and, yeah, he ha- he's, and he's, he's very Jason good at blending Styles them. Jason Styles with an S at the end. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there's a reason they call him that, I guess. Uh, so then we go to Lucha, and then you're hooked on Hood Slam, then... Do you just go straight from there to Hood Slam or what? Anything in between? No. Uh, so I worked a couple of, you know, uh, American promotions. Not too many. And then at most of them, I feel like maybe I was kind of just pigeonholed as a luchador. Which is fair. You know, I did a lot of lucha and I wore a mask. And I spoke Spanish to the guys. So I don't, I think maybe there's a little bit of a, a hump that I didn't see there. 
where I was having trouble getting booked on some shows. No problem. I just you would work lucha shows from Reno to Mexicali. And I worked a lot uh, around the Bay and the Central Coast for a while. And once California Lucha Libre Arena Hayward closed, I needed somewhere to go, you know, a wrestling training spot to go. And, you know, the big wrestling school other than that was the one I didn't want to go to. I'm not going to put them over here. Didn't want to go there. Okay. So I could have gone there or I could have done my own thing. So I was actually talking to Mantis Lee, who, whether you like him or not, he's the nicest person you'll ever meet. Very helpful. Very uh, humble, too. And he allowed me to use a ring at his uh, his family's ranch. So I would go out there and I, I was doing my own thing, training, until Sheik opened up her own school. And I trained with Sheik for a little bit. And then that came to a close as well. Maybe six months later, after Sheik decided, just kind of got bored, um, she gave me a message on Facebook. said, I got this idea. I'm going to re- reform the caution. This is going to be the caution 2.0. It's going to be me, you, and some other people. And then the and rest, that's, that's, history. Yeah. 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 How would you uh, compare, you know, the training styles when you were training on Lucha than training under Sheik? The language barrier is the biggest thing. I mean, um, I was able to learn uh, most of the moves, names in English and in Spanish. And I even created a cheat sheet for um, my Lucha teacher, Skyday, who's trained many names. Uh, each Lucha teacher has their own way to weed out the weak. Some will blow you up beforehand. will make you do runs and exercises. Some will bump you around a whole bunch beforehand. And Sheik was very selective on who she picked to train with. There's mostly other entertainers from, you know, people that played guitar or did burlesque or whichever bit they had of working in front of the crowd was and help them in wrestling. They just didn't have wrestling experience. Mm, and actually, the great Bambina comes from that same uh, class that we were doing. So I guess that's the biggest thing is that she had already picked out who she wanted, whereas the Lucha guys are trying to cut out the people that aren't serious about it. Okay. And then, yeah, that was that's the biggest difference. Also, okay. everybody in Sheik's class was extremely talented in another art form prior to pro wrestling. Okay, so they were a little bit more uh, comfortable as far as crowds already. Yeah. Yeah, because I noticed that a lot when I was working for Pro Wrestling Iron. I was taking photos for them. I actually trained with them for like six months. wasn't my thing. I enjoy. I love wrestling, but just yeah. working it is a totally different thing than loving it. It's, yeah, you know... Uh, you know, I love soccer. It's what it's like my favorite sport on the planet. I watch international soccer. Can't play it to save my life. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, but I did notice that certain trainers, when I was working there, would do this. Like you said, they would either try to blow you up, or sometimes they would be like, "Hey, it's chop time," and you're like, "Oh, okay, that's what's going on." Yeah. Um, we were training with Meteoro and Scotty Ringer and. Uh, Samara, which is it's her birthday today, so happy birthday, Samara. Um, they jumped in the class, that lucha class, and at the end of the class, Metoro would have you know chops, and we'd all go in a circle, chop, reverse circle, and then we'd go across the circle and everything. And you know, you got your hey, your, everybody's chops sounded great. You know, nobody had bad chops in that class, but Scotty got Meteoro, 
and Scotty had gone easy on Samara. So Meteoro was going to make sure that, you know, like nobody mm. goes easy on anybody here. Mm. He gave Scotty a chop and literally a welt grew the size of a small mouse onto Scotty's chest. Mm. And maybe a week later after it burst, he had this huge bruise. All Good the way Lord. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you something, though. Uh, Mike yeah. Modest yeah. Mm-hmm. was a trainer at Iron, right? Yeah. How was training with him? He's he's actually super uh, calm, and he's more he's more about like he kind of he would kind of oversee stuff and give pointers here and there, and then like for like the little more like uh, I, I would say like he's like he's more of a head coach and not like a defensive coordinator. Like he sits right. there and he he oversees what's going on. He tells the his, the people under him how to train and he jumps in when he can. Uh, but a lot of the time he would have other people do the more grinding stuff of you know, keep running, keep going. Like that wasn't his yeah. his thing. His thing was more about like he was actually very good at like, hey, when you're doing this, like pop your hip a little bit more. Do that so it looks a little bit more effective. Like he would do like he knew like all the little things where you're like you know, and and it, and it was great. I really enjoyed it at the time. I met a lot of really cool people. Uh, but speaking as far as we were talking about earlier about the crowd stuff, there are people that were so excellent. Like they came in, they were barely winded by the time we finished the runs. They would they would do all the training stuff, blah, blah, blah. Then we would do a promo part and they were like, uh, so it's because um, and you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, yeah. And then some of them, you know, ended up being really great later on. Uh, so. You know how when you're talking or doing something on the mic, how much of it did you cut? Did it come naturally? And how much of it, you know, did you have to kind of expand yourself a little bit to get into it? The pre-recorded stuff, which I love, very natural. A, because I can do a hundred takes of it and pick out the one that I like the most. But you know, I, I did recorded videos before, where there's my own comedy videos or as Jesus's comedy videos, whatever. So that came very natural. Going up on a mic in front of people. Not as natural. I did before, you know, before actually I grabbed the mic, I'd already yelled at people back and forth. So that was easier. But still getting all the bullet points in that you need to get in on a mic is much more difficult than going out there and saying a couple words. Yeah. And at that point, you're not commanding the attention of a few people who you're yelling at or whatever or saying stuff to in the crowd. Now you're commanding everyone's attention. Yeah. I think my, my biggest lesson is as a face. Don't tell the fans they're going to have to wait till next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did that once and I was like, oh, I, suddenly they turned on me and I couldn't figure <laughs> out why. And I, I got to the back. I was just like, oh, that's how I made him wait. Yeah, that works for like television product, like people at home because they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to tune in next week. That doesn't work for people who are there live because they're like, I might not even be here next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to come back again. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did so when you uh, came to Hood Slam? Uh, it sounds like you you didn't expect to do Luchador. I was going to ask if you were going to do a Luchador gimmick, but it sounds like she, she already had a, a gimmick in mind for you. Uh, I I did. I know. Um, she didn't tell me what I was going to be doing. Just okay. Kind of the story arc. We were, we were going to kind of do this, but I, I showed up in my mask and everything. I'm ready to go. And uh, as a Luchador, I always showed up in mask and mask. And I showed up to, you know, the Oakland Metro and masked. And when we got to the back end, we we're going over the card. 
she looked at me and she's like, you know, I wasn't uh, imagining the whole mask. You know, I just be Boone. That was a whole new curve and uh, curveball was to learn to be myself up there too, not to be my polar opposite. Mm. And I think being my polar opposite on the mic was much easier because I knew what I didn't want to hear. But what did I want to hear? Yeah. How would you, how do you, how do you think about, you know, what you're going to do, especially when you said you learned, learned that day, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, you learn as you go. Yeah. And so how'd you change time, your headspace? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you change your headspace from that, from one to the other? Were you nervous coming out being like, Oh, I, I was, I came here for this. I didn't realize this is what I happened. Was, no, I think that was one of my more excited days in wrestling was, you know, finally reaching my goal of working hood slam. You know, my, okay. my goal was to work it for a year, but that was, you know, the, the beginning of it. So I wasn't too nervous. I think the only thing was I forgot my mustache wax at home. Mm. And because I expect to wear a mask. So uh, I had to call my roommate and he came from San Francisco to the Oakland Metro with a little tube of mustache wax <laughs> and my hair stuff. And I was like, thanks, bro. Code red. Uh, we have a facial hair emergency. Yeah. But um, over the last year and a half, I've learned to be myself and to express myself through wrestling and instead, instead of expressing a character. So why was the goal kinda, one year? That's just the story arc I had in my head. I had 12 shows in my head. Like I'm going to do this gimmick and then we're going to do this and this and this. And you know, I was just marking out until I saw that Mascarita de Rada. And I was like, well, maybe I could do this. But even then, you know, uh, I would kind of push some of the promotions that uh, I, I would work for to, put me as the crusader um which i've been uh outed before online so you know, i don't mind saying my mass name but uh at california lucha libre where i was training um i was doing an antibodies gimmick which was not me at all mm -hmm. um, i couldn't get into it i thought i did terrible every time i went up there i guess the crowd liked it i couldn't tell and then for a, another promotion in san diego I had to do a Latka Kaufman gimmick or, uh, you know, an Andy Kaufman gimmick. Okay. And, uh, wasn't really big into, uh, the anti-woman, anti-feminism mm. gimmick personally. It wasn't really me. Yeah. Um, I did it and it worked really well. It worked really well. I don't know if I would have booked it the same. I probably would have booked the one to go over more, but it racked up quite a few wins. Okay, yeah, you figure with that gimmick, the woman should go over more. That's no, no, that's I, kind of I went, the, over, I went over every time there. What's the fun and, in that? Yeah, like if you're gonna yeah, if you're gonna play the chicken shit heel, you know that kind of thing. You know the whole point is that the people get to see you go under. That's that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, he even told me this one time. You know, like beat up my girlfriend, like. Not not physically, but you know, he, I was gonna work his girlfriend, mm -hmm. and she, you know, she wasn't really trained. She never went to a school, so I had to work around that. And the match was really dark, which is kind of what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I do really like dark things, um, which has kind of been a contention—not a contention, but it's been an interesting thing to weave into Hood Slime as well which is much more you know, funny. But I remember there was a point where she hit me and I grabbed her by, by the hair 
And, you know, as Kaufman, I said, you know, don't you ever hit a man, blah, 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 blah. And one of the fans yelled out, like, this got dark really fast. And it's like, yes, yes, it did. <laughs> oh, man. That's such a wild. I, yeah, I just I, it's, I'm struggling to find like, whoa, how that's, you know, the the, the psychology behind that. Like I said, yeah. you figure you'd go, oh. well, you know, I mean, I, I would still I'd still win in underhanded ways. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think in that match I, I brought out or she she brought out the chair, missed, hit it outside. I threw the chair in the ring. Uh, we, you know, worked, and then she went to hit me. I think again with the chair, and it hit her head, and then that's when I went for the spinebuster. Okay, the and good old Arn Anderson spinebuster was the finish. Okay, and uh, were you nervous doing like intergender stuff? I just was really uncomfortable because, like, it was my face when mm. I did the lucha mask. It, you know, it was the polar opposite of who I was. Mm. I was under a mask, like I didn't have to worry about anybody I knew seeing it but if like a recorded video of me doing there's one floating around out there um <laughs> the Lotka Kaufman gimmick like ugh. yeah that's uh that's rough any yeah, I, did I, any of the crowd go ahead I did have a lot of fun doing it but what, what were you gonna say oh it's fun yeah it's always fun to be the to be a real bad guy you know here and there but at some point you kind of like you gotta kind of be like wait shouldn't we but anyway <laughs> um yeah did any of the crowd go Especially the females in the crowd, they them like, were they were they pretty hostile? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it got a lot of heat, and I I did well. Um, the girls did well. Uh, one of my favorite moments with the crowd was in Santa Cruz, working for that same promotion that moved from Santa Cruz to San Diego, and uh, the crowd was you know cheering her on, and they started chanting for, her, and I took her outside and threw her back in. And I started making fun of the crowd, and I know there was a kid sitting in the front, and I was like, yeah, man, I want the chick to win. I'm from Santa Cruz. And that got even more heat from the crowd just stereotyping them like that. So, uh, would you, Was that some of the toughest crowd you've had, or you've had anything worse no, than that? Those crowds were, <laughs> were – I mean, those crowds are easy. You know, if, if they hate you, it's easy. Um, I also introduced myself from being from the millennial ta- Millennium Tower in San Francisco. Which, I mean, is, you know, the big city for somebody in Santa Cruz or whatever. And for those that don't know, the Millennium Tower was sinking. And, you know, I didn't know if anybody was going to get that joke. Until somebody in the crowd yelled, it's a sinking tower! And it's just like, yeah, that's right, you got it. But uh, those crowds were actually always really good. Were there any other crowds that were maybe a little bit more hostile, a little bit more... Uh, did you get garner some heat that maybe you, you were like, oh, that's maybe that's too much heat, maybe... <laughs> In Mexico, not uh, for that promotion. Um, I did a very, you know, San Francisco proud, like like we're talking about, you know, who from California doesn't have a California shirt. Um, I did a very proud San Francisco gimmick down there, you know, bigotes, which isn't is kind of just like you know, kind of a, a bad section of my personality. You know, going to Mexicali and you know just putting down their town and. When I walked out, you know, everybody knew who I was because I did these videos on Facebook. You know, I paid to do the Facebook ads. Still making a profit, still keeping within the margin. But and there's this one lady from San Diego because I broadcasted it in Mexicali, Tijuana, San Diego and Calexico. What were these ads? What were they doing? 
uh, it was me cutting promos about you know why San Francisco is great. Uh, I was promoting the the sponsor Agua Vida for their bottled water in Mexicali. You know that's the only good thing that came out of that town. Okay, and uh, it might be, but uh, I did that, and when I sent them all out, I got this message back from this lady named Wendy, and and actually in very broken Spanish, uh, she messaged me back. And it was like, you need to act better, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows you don't really hate Mexicali. And I would have back like, no, I really do. Like, I really do. And I, I told her about what a terrible experience I had there the last time I went there. And how the cops, like, harassed us so many, like, four different times. You got pulled over just for having California plates. And, yeah, and how, uh, you know, even the Jamaica I had there wasn't as good as the Jamaica I had here. Yeah, the tacos, including the tacos even. You know, maybe I just have American taste, but... Tacos. I had better tacos here, and then she, you know she she bought into it hook line and sinker, and yeah, I think that was a really amount of unexpected heat I got just to get like hate mail, <laughs> and she wasn't the only one, but she she Wendy, if you're if you're watching, um, she stuck out in my memory. Damn. So you really <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when we actually when we went to Mexicali, there was a, an older lady with a cane, and she started swinging at us like legit swinging at us when <laughs> we went over and uh she was swinging for our ankles at first and we jumped off and she started swinging for our heads and then i grabbed a cane and i said hey back off <laughs> uh yeah probably not a gimmick cane probably not a gimmick cane oh. yeah. <laughs> uh someone's abuelita almost almost knocked you out man yeah. <laughs> that would not have been fun Gra- yeah grandma said to knock you out <laughs> uh you know, it seems like everyone in Hood Slams kind of, kind of in on the joke. But have any fans there ever kind of crossed the line at all, or done anything like that? They have. Um, I mean, you know, there is the message in the beginning of the show. You know, don't touch the wrestlers. Um, I personally don't mind being touched. You know, nobody's throwing blows at me. Um, I'm also a man, so I don't have to worry about being touched in other ways for the most part. Uh, there was one fan that grabbed my butt right in front of her boyfriend. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, but no, for the most part, the fans don't cross the line at Hood Slam. Um, I think, you know, they do throw money in. I think uh, a fan threw a quarter in once, which obviously don't throw, you know, metal money. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... Hmm. Yeah, has anyone, for the most has, part, they're well-behaved. Has anyone... Uh, and I, I can't believe someone would be as much of a dipshit to do this, but has anyone ever gotten kicked out of Hood Slam for trying to sneakily take some of the money off the ring? No. People have been kicked out of Hood Slam for putting their drink on the ring. Mm. And their drink spilling, and then they did it again. Mm, damn. So not only shame on shame on me once and then yeah. twice. Yeah, wow. Okay. That's so what I was getting. There, there is a new rule at Hood Slam where if somebody puts their drink on the ring... I think it was after that incident, after somebody puts their drink on the ring and, you know, you tell them to get their drink off the ring or, you know, it's announced to get their drink off the ring, that if they put it on there again, it's fair game. Which, I mean, post-coronavirus, are we still going to do that? Uh, who knows? Probably not. But, but yeah. <laughs> pre-coronavirus, hopefully somebody got a drink or two. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I always, I always get like, uh, you know how like when you leave a restaurant and you leave like tip on the table? I'm always yeah. like... Looking back as I'm leaving, yeah. like, is she going to go grab it? Is he going to go grab it? What's going to I'm always, like, paranoid. Yeah. So, yeah. I always just, like, slide mine to the very back of the table. Yeah. Oh, man. 
so you're doing hood slam. Everything's great. Uh, you know, you have your Lucha background. Uh, has anyone at hood slam, you know, asked for any Lucha tips maybe? Um, I was, had the chance to work Bartman at a, a Lucha promotion and we had a couple good matches. Um, I, I say that with that kind of trailing tone in my voice because, uh, a referee might have fucked up on the matches but you know everything him and i did was very solid and it was it was great because him and i were the two best on the show he trained at stoner u which is now probably i think the best school in the bay uh there's of course jason school but it's in los baños okay and yeah, uh and working him was probably the most lucha chips i've done okay and when you're you know when you're doing the hood slam training style what, what what would you say their training style is you know i i've only been through their class on match night they do this really awesome thing at stoner u where if you're a trained wrestler and you're, you know you're working shows you can come in on thursday the, the second thursday it's one of the thursdays night a month where maybe it's every thursday except that it's every thursday except the third thursday where you could come in and you know work their guys so everybody gets more experience and work on each other so that was the only class i went to of theirs okay they do a little bit of lucha um not a terrible amount of it though uh they do mostly american and storytelling uh so kind of like the family tree of their school is you know the stoner brothers to the main trainers and before them coach nugs and uh nugs is really great at telling stories with props or whatever inside the ring. So I think that really shows in a lot of their students. Okay. Have you uh, gotten a chance to, you know, get a little bit of wisdom from Nugs? Uh, Nugs, if people don't know, is uh, has been in the indie wrestling scene for a while and bigger than that as well. Uh, Joe Applebomber, as he used to be known as. Uh, you know, have you got? Has, have you gotten any? Uh, yeah, have you gotten any uh, wisdom from him? He's very quiet. And he, he, yeah, I guess, you know, he doesn't waste words and he doesn't waste movements in the ring. And when he tells you something, you know, it's very specific and it's very helpful. Nothing comes to mind in particular. Okay. um, Except I did have the chance to be, you know, the best athlete in the East Bay while he was a Golden Gate champion. And he said, nice match, champ. And we were both champs. And I was like, oh, 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 shucks, man. (laughs) That's great. uh, some of my uh, my dog's best matches, uh, Bernie Jr., um, were, was against him and against you know his direct students, the Stoner Brothers. Those were undoubtedly uh, little BJ's uh, best matches. And uh, you mentioned before about the the match you had with Bartman and the referee stuff. If I remember correctly, weren't you doing referee for a while as well? Yes, yes, I was. Uh, I started off as refing. And uh, right when the quarantine struck, I was able to jump back in as a ref uh, twice. So that was it was kind of fun. Uh, I didn't get to do my whole ref getup, which I really enjoy doing. But uh, crease pants, crease shirt, yeah. suspenders, bow tie, like yeah. So when you're working a match, you know what's especially when you're doing a different promotions, different referees. You mentioned this referee messed up uh, that you were talking about earlier. Uh, but what are some like you know? terrible things that a ref could do in the ring 
you know, a lot of, I assume a lot of people who watch wrestling, they don't really think too much about what the ref is doing. They're mostly, you know, watching the two guys go at it. But what 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 are some bad things? And it also, you know, let's not be just negative. What are some great things that sometimes refs can do in the ring while you're working them? You know, when I watch uh, WWE, I don't spend as much time watching the workers as I watch the refs because I'm not I don't particularly enjoy the WWE style, but I do watch the refs because they do have the best refs. Um, some of the good things I was watching uh, a Terry Funk match. It was a Terry Funk match uh, the other day, and the referee explained all the rules to you know both the workers prior to the match, and it was really interesting because he and the workers foreshadowed what was going to happen later. Like you know, no going outside. What if I do this? You know, what if I go outside? If I throw him back in and I roll back out. And so it's really neat to see them foreshadow that. I think that's okay. It, next time, if next time I go to ref, I'm going to pull both of them over and say, you know, foreshadow a little bit. Yeah. Um, the worst thing a ref can do is undoubtedly mess up any spot they're in because any spot they're in means something. Uh, yeah. That ref that messed up that finish, he wasn't even in the spot. He was supposed to be, you know, counting us out. It's supposed to be a count out draw, and he stopped counting. <laughs> um, but actually, some of my favorite moments refereeing was doing spots actually with uh, Pentagon Junior and with La Parka, with La, not La Parka, La Parka, LA Park. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a nice uh, moment to happen. It must be cool seeing, especially like pentagon back on television now with aw as he was with lucha and underground uh so when 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 you're talking about like being a ref and and the county stuff you know what i miss is the remember how they would go to the corner and they would like check their elbow pads and check their knee pads and the bottom of their shoes i miss that i remember i still do that okay yeah I noticed they don't do it on TV really anymore. And I'm like, I, I kind of miss that. I kind of like, you know, gave a little air of like authenticity to what they were doing. And they're like, yeah. okay, make sure you got nothing hiding in here. All right, kid. Like, yeah. Um, so where is it? Uh, Judge Mills Lane is a ref I really like to watch, which is boxing ref, but it gives that air of authenticity to it. All right. Uh, so with the wrestling stuff, with the referee stuff, you doing acting, you doing everything else. Is there anything you haven't branched into yet? that you branched out to yet, I should say that you're, that you want to. Yeah. There's two promotions. I'm, I'm interested in branching out to, uh, both were ones that where Skyday was the main trainer at, uh, galley in Chicago is one of them. Uh, it's, uh, I really enjoy the hood slam style more than working Lucha. Even, mm-hmm. uh, I don't enjoy working the American style so much, uh, working Lucha. I enjoy because I, as much as, you know, the American ego likes to think that, oh, you know, the American way of telling the story works a hell of a lot better. I really think that the Lucha structure makes more sense. Mm. Um, I understand that maybe it doesn't build as much tension. But I think the psychology behind it from two to three rounds, like we're talking about, you know, making it look a little bit more shoot uh, to working small wrestling, then building up the spots then going into the 10 then, you know, going into falsies and going home. I think their structure does work better. And I think a lot of Americans kind of skip over that. But going back to your point, I really did actually achieve all except getting married, all of my childhood dreams before I became 30, which I just happened in March. 
Very nice. Yeah. So 30 years old, been in the business for how many years now? Five years now. Five years now. Five years. You already went down to Mexico. You're already, you know, going all over California. You've already done basically more than a lot of indie wrestlers do uh, in a longer period of time. Uh, do you look back and have any regrets on any of the stuff you've done, stuff you would have done differently, stuff you would have done if you were like, oh, if I only knew what I knew now, something I would have done? I would have done those matches in Mexico differently. Okay. Um, would have done that differently. How, diff- how different? I would have I would have expected things go off the rails quicker. Um, I was really fortunate to work with a guy named Schizophrenia. And he he understood psychology, lucha psychology, and everything with him worked really well. But the other, you know, four guys we had in the the ring, things kind of went off the rails a little bit more with them. Hmm. So I'd I'd have done that differently. You know, know, honestly, I would have put another 10 hours a week into it, into the last five years. Uh, I put about 20 hours a week into wrestling, you know, training exercising match study about 20 hours a week and you know if if anybody out there is thinking about it don't do it because 9 out of 10 people fall off and it's not for them mm-hmm. but if you are going to do it make sure you can actually dedicate you know 30 hours a week you know if you want this to be a full time job 40 if you want this to be a part time job 30 I did well with 20 but I had some other experiences and I, I had a the best trainer in the Bay at the time. There you go. Uh, so you talked a little about not being able to, you know, things going off the rails, anything like that. Sometimes things go off the rails uh, a little bit more on purpose by some workers. Uh, we all know about workers being stiff, brother, being snug, whatever the term you want to use. Uh, have you experienced that at all in the ring? Uh, have you had to, as the, you know, it's become a popular term, have you had to receipt someone, you know, any of that, any of the fun stuff, quote unquote, I've given somebody receipts, but it, it wasn't anything too bad, you know? Um, I think the only time I, I really got stiff was I got stiff by one guy in a match, and then I got stiff by the next guy in the match. And I was already, like, my section of that match was already over. Like, there was no time for receipt because I was the first one eliminated. So I, you know, I brought it up to him in the back, too. And one of the guys uh, was trained by Jekylls. I was like, oh, all right. He, he said sorry. The other guy was kind of like, well, uh, you know, it happens. You know, I was like, Fuck you, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, he's not really around anymore. And the next time I worked him, he was super soft, super light. So I don't know if that was just me kind of going up in the ranks or. Mm. Did it take you a long time to kind of get used to the the little the little things like that, the little hierarchy things where you're kind of like, you know, respecting certain people in the locker room, speaking to different people differently, any of that kind of stuff? No, no, it really no. didn't. Uh, I did union organizing previous to wrestling. And same thing. Uh, speaking of that, you know, a little bit off the rails from what we're talking about here, uh, but it still has to do with indie wrestling. What do you think about guys like David Starr, who are these big proponents and in, uh, unions in independent wrestling? So being very dedicated to the union movement and you know, being a pro wrestler, I, I thought about it a lot, even before I heard about David Starr. And it's going to be really challenging. And I don't, I'm not going to say it's not going to work because every worker deserves a union. And clearly, you know, at CMLL in Mexico, they have a union to get it to work at a big promotion. Sure, that that might work. Um, I don't have that opportunity. So thinking like that is kind of just a fantasy thought. Mm. 
uh, I think if you were really going to do it, you would start off at the schools and you'd have to get the trainers on board and you'd probably have to allow them to be part of the union, which is going to kind of screw up the whole, you know, you're working for your boss, but he's also part of the union thing. Yeah. But if you were to actually try to do it, you would start at the school level. And then, you know, once you graduate from the school, you also take out a union card. And then once you get enough union density inside your local region, you would probably only work union guys. So you'd start off one school, two schools, three schools, only working each other. So if somebody from, you know, who from another school who doesn't have a card goes up, we're not going to work them. Maybe they're not safe. Yeah. And I think with the, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would complain about that because they would say like, oh, well, what if that keeps me from being able to do work at this place? And da, da, da. Well, some, some of these people might not have been too familiar with a lot of indie wrestling in the early 2000s. But uh, <laughs> there was a time when if there was a promotion within 40 miles of each other and you worked for one of them, the other one would be like, why are you working with them? And they would do stupid crap, like go to their shows and like slash their tires and like like people oh wow this was like a thing that happened in there so like the idea that oh but that might get me bumped from doing a show is like well that could happen already that's yeah um you know when i first started training and you know uh arena hayward was essentially a split from you know big time wrestling where jason had previously trained and one thing I wanted to do once we had our first or second show was to have like a cafe barbecue. Uh, and I wanted to like Kakamang, who was super over at BTW, is coming over to Arena Hayward. I wanted to you know, have, you know, Kakamang's cafe barbecue. And I wanted, you know, all the luchadors and especially the wrestlers that were making the transition to come out in front of the Newark Pavilion and have a barbecue with flyers ready to go for either like next day or the next show. And just completely salt the earth. <laughs> we, di- we didn't do it. Many of my uh, ideas got shot down. Uh, one time, <laughs> I wanted one time I wanted to come to the ring with ammonia, and thankfully I was smart enough to ask. And Cheek said, "No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that." <laughs> okay, I want to have fire once. No, we're not gonna <laughs> do that. Uh, yeah, that might that might violate a code or two. Yeah. What did you want to do with fire? Um, at Fuck the Fans 10, Matt Carlos went to put lighter fluid on me. I stopped him. And then I poured it on myself. I wasn't afraid. There's nothing. I wasn't going to back down from lighter fluid or anything else he had planned. But I figured the next show would be logical that I was set on fire. Okay, okay. Uh, so uh, I had some of the super hot burning flash fire paper. And I was like, I'm just going to put this over my arm guard. Hope it doesn't melt my arm guard in my hand. And Shinari can light me on fire. Cheek. Mm. Being very <laughs> the, the smart promoter she is. No. <laughs> Oakland Warehouse Fire. Yeah, that's... um. Yeah, even if it even if it went off without a hitch, it's kind of like... that. that that's not going to leave people's minds... At all, especially. Uh, there was a moment in, uh, I don't know if you watched WrestleMania this year, but. I did. The, I watched the first half. Okay. Uh, so the first half had the street fight with Orton and Edge, or was it the second night? Did not. Second. Okay, second night. So uh, they it came out a week after the Benoit documentary, and they had a spot where he hung him from a weight machine. And I was like, did no one 
did no one think about the optics, like, at all? Like, I don't know. It, it was just, it was one of those things where the second it happened, I went, oh, oh, okay. So, I mean, I know that, you know, what's taste in wrestling, but I think there's some things. That- yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that was a canned match that was pre-recorded. I feel like somebody still should have been like, hey, didn't that one guy? Yeah. But that one guy who used maybe, to work here? Yeah. The guy we don't mention <laughs> his name anymore. Yeah. His matches to study. You got to know who he's working. <laughs> yeah. It just says William Regal in singles competition. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's a Benoit match. All right. <laughs> so with Hood Slam, I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's an inclusionary product, but it is a also it's a, you know, hashtag fuck the fans. It is a, you know, balls out you know, to the wall show. Uh, is there ever any worry about like, oh, are we going to take too far with something? Is there something that you just go, we we can't do something like this? What, what's off limits? What's, what's, what is the, you know, the, the group culture of it? No politics, no religion, which totally throws out Crusader, which is fine. You know, I didn't know that when I came up with the creative idea, but, uh, and you know what? They're really right to do that. As someone who, uh, you know, was political uh, beforehand, like, I didn't, it didn't really make sense at first. Because, like, yeah, people love talking politics. I love talking politics. No, not everybody likes talking politics. Mm. And uh, during the quarantine, I've, like, stopped wanting to talk politics as well. So I, I learned what everybody else already knew previously. So politics and religion is pretty much off, to- uh, off limits. Which is, you know, which is makes sense. It makes business sense. You know, wrestling is a business. It's not just an art form. Yeah, and people are there for, you know, they, they say like, oh, it's supposed to be an escape. It's supposed to be, you know. But, you know, that that's, um, I think art should be a reflection of reality, including dark realities. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's partly because I, you know, I did that Kaufman gimmick and that was a, a very dark reality. Still think the one should have gone up. But, you know, I think you can show a dark reality sometimes. It's not as Hood Slam absolutely does that, too. You know, it it has that spice of dark reality as well. Um, A dog being murdered in front of me was a little bit dark. The fan getting blood out of them was a little bit dark. Yeah. Well, I suppose with anything else, you know, uh, you know, people like to say, like, oh, regardless, you know, uh, point blank this or this or this. But context does matter context you know is a thing and sometimes you hear a joke and the joke could be very salacious something you don't you know wouldn't normally laughed at but it's just that it's crafted so well and so perfectly that and i think it comes with that way with wrestling there's stuff in wrestling where like on paper it wouldn't work and instead it does and there's stuff that on paper says works perfect and then they do it and you go what what were they thinking yeah um you know, uh, a lot of the Lucha shows that book American guys, there's sometimes that, you know, whole like, you know, borderline racist moments. And it's all in context and it's all in how you do it. There's people that take that too far and you turn people off. There's people that can, you know, just, and J- Styles is one of them. He can just ride that razor line and he can make it entertaining without offending anybody. And wrestling, that's a difficult a difficult line because, you know, uh, wrestling, while it can be, 
is not necessarily super nuanced at times. So, uh, so when people, and you know, sometimes it's just people going for something and not being able to, because maybe yeah. they don't have the skill to be, to be, yeah. you know, what they should be. Yeah, but I mean, for the record, racist, uh, Jason, of course, isn't racist. He just, exactly. Yes. You know, he just not, says, you know, USA, USA, whatever to get the heats. Yeah. He's not, he's not playing the good guy in the scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and as long as long as the good guy isn't the racist guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's. I think I think you know what? Not just in wrestling, I think in life, folks, we could say as long as the good guy isn't the racist guy. I think that's some words to live by. <laughs> I, I was watching. Uh, there's a new movie out about Hitler, something Jojo Rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't finish it. I, I feel like I should finish it, but like it just painted such a cutesy picture of Hitler. I was just like, this. I don't care for this. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I, I like the movie more than you did. It sounds like, but I also it's one of those things where I like it, and I go, and I can see why some people don't like this. <laughs> that's uh, you know, yeah. that's also by the way, that's okay. Internet, you can you yeah. can you can also dislike something, and know why people do like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's you know that's that's the way it works. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like if I would have watched finished the end of the movie i would see why people really love that movie so everything beyond that seemed really nice and i'm sure at the end you know he shows his ass and does something terrible and so sure it works out i just yeah. i have I have a short attention span you know i like i like two hour wrestling shows i like 30 minute shows even an hour show for tv but 90 minutes is just like oh god <laughs> i'm not doing anything so speaking of internet haters the internet is rife with people Wrestling fans, especially who are much like every other kind of fan, Star Wars fans, comic book fans, anyone who's really into something. Uh, there's always a big section of them that have nothing to do but complain about these things. Uh, you guys work Hood Slam. Hood Slam is, uh, is a highly uh, fantastic atmosphere. You have video game characters fighting other video game characters uh, amongst a bunch of other stuff. Do you ever encounter any old school guys who are like, you know, what is this? What is, you know, and even something as minuscule as like, you know, you're not the biggest guy in the world, and there are people who just—if you're not—if you're not, you know, giant dudes in wrestling, you know, they shit on it constantly. What's your been your experience and stuff like that? The people I trained with, because I didn't go to, you know, Stoner U or to—I mean, because Hood Slam doesn't have a school, but mm-hmm. Stoner U typically feeds out to Hood Slam. You get noticed easier. Um, but because I went to Arena Hayward, like, yeah, most of the people I worked with didn't, except Jesus, weren't really into Hood Slam. A lot of them just hated on it. Okay. Not your flavor. I really like it. And, uh, you know, I know like Jim Cornette or whatever. I think Cornette even has Sheik blocked, whatever. I'm not worried about them. I really Mm -hmm. am not. Like, any, 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 especially in the Bay Area, if anybody wants to hate on Hood Slam, they can hate on Hood Slam as much as they want because they don't draw the money Hood Slam does. It's a business. It's not just for you to mark out and say, I'm a wrestler, I'm jacked up, and I can do these sweet moves perfectly. It's also a business, and you're not making any money. I've been to some stellar indie shows with top workers that have had 30 people in the crowd. And sometimes it's just the way it goes. And I mean, Hood Slam has both. It has great workers who are willing to work a comic match and then it draws the money. Yeah. And, and you know what? It has a story too, which I 
personally really love. Uh, some indie shows just kind of like, oh, he's our champion. He has this like little feud. But Hood Slam has this huge backlog of story. Um, and would you say that's due to their, the fact that they're, they have a more of a cult fan base than a lot of indie promotions? A lot of indie promotions depend on randos in every show to show up. Whereas I feel like from what I can experience, I haven't experienced it myself, unluckily for me. And now there's a quarantine, so I can't until it comes back up. But it feels like there's a, there's a lot more repeat fans that come to the Hood Slam. Yeah, I want to say it's about 50-50. Yeah, uh, Brosif, the commentator, um, has done polls. Just audio polls. Like, you know, who's been first time? Who's a virgin? Very nice. Well, brother, the promoter has run out from the back. It is time to take this bad boy home. Because we've gone on for too long. He's screaming. Spits flying out of his mouth. Uh, the fans are very confused. Who's this man in cargo shorts who's run out and is yelling at the wrestlers? So I got some, some rapid fire screws. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got some rapid fire stuff to finish out the rest of this with. Um, let's play Booker Man for a second. You are booking a, a Hood Slam show. I need you to give me two workers. From the independent scene that have not been in Hood Slam, one that you just want to have on the show in general, and two, one that you want to work against. Can it be the same person? Hey, if you if it's the same person, then it's the same person. Jason Styles. Jason Styles. Absolutely, Jason Styles. Um, you know, I couldn't wrench his arm. You know, to to come to a, a Hood Slam, I think he'd really like it. I I do. It, he might not like some things about it. It might be. You might not like people throwing fireballs at each other. <laughs> but I think he'd like it. And I think he would do excellently. I don't think he'd ever work a show. But if I could pick anybody, it'd absolutely be Jay Styles. Fantastic. What's your favorite mover hold that you don't use? I used to do the Buffalo Sleeper Hold under the other gimmicks because I worked the arm more at the other gimmicks. Um, so that's my favorite one that I used to use. Um, I do always mark out a little bit whenever I see somebody do a sharpshooter. Um, growing up as a kid, my best friend's favorite move, my favorite wrestler was you know the Hitman, and he would always put me in sharpshooters and, and really shoot it in. So I, I always kind of just remember fond memories whenever somebody does a sharpshooter. Uh, what's the worst thing someone can do in a match that's working against you that's not trying to hurt you? The referee can mess up their spots. Okay, absolutely. Um, you sometimes your replacement in that spot is very important or they can refuse refuse to do something oh this doesn't make sense uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, they can refuse to do a spot because oh this doesn't make sense whatever it makes sense for the 10 minute story we're telling okay yeah <laughs> so if I tell you if I, if I tell you that I want to use my fist don't let me use my fist don't let me use my fist it's fantastic I kind of I didn't realize that referees had such story input that's Some, that seems... sometimes they want it and you know what you got to give it to them they're, yeah. they're, they're as much part of that they're a very important part of the story when's the last time you were legitimately surprised by a worker in the ring other than you know the lighter fluid thing attempt to be poured on me other than like him pulling out a knife shortly after that on me um, other than seeing my dog get kidnapped and murdered there was a student at uh, California Championship Wrestling. He's very good. He does a bunch of different gimmicks. I drop his name, but I don't know which gimmick he's doing now. Um, and they're all masked. Uh, there is a student from there, though, that you should keep your eyes on. 
I really enjoyed working him. He he listened a lot. He listened really well. And then uh, there was another student who was but like we're talking about, you know, some people are very athletic, but they just don't have these other things. There's another student there who's very athletic and I, I love him as a person, but I did not enjoy working him. Because he I don't know, he, he just didn't have that the year. Yeah. Um just seeing this guy who training with him had trouble doing a cartwheel and then working him in a match, I'm like, oh well. I'm glad I didn't call her a cartwheel, but everything else was like wonderful. And we, we even told a story like I, t- I like to tell that has, you know, a prop in it. And, you know, he did the prop perfectly. I kind of messed up the prop and got beer all over Jason's ring. Wasn't too happy about that. But <laughs> he, he, he did fine. Uh, let's see. Um, um, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, funny moments at an indie show. Hardest you've laughed at an indie show. Anything like that? It's from a uh, sexy good time wrestle show called as seen on tv where everybody was uh different uh shows against one another and we were arrested development versus stranger things and the part i'm thinking about that just still makes me laugh uh, i was watching it the other day it wasn't it wasn't before i came out so it's i'm not putting myself over uh anton Voorhees was doing job and he was doing magic tricks. And I won't spoil the magic tricks for everybody okay. now. But he nailed it. And he nailed it in ways he didn't even imagine was possible. Uh, worst gimmick that you've seen? The ones you can't remember. Um, the guys, especially in like northern, northern California. Some guys in Central Valley. Um, they just wear their chonies. And uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> if, I can't, if I can't sum up your... You're, you know your character in one sentence maybe you didn't do your job if I can't sum up your character in no matter how long no matter how much space you give me other than he does lots of athletic things he's very athletic athlete in speedos that's the worst gimmick mm. uh, working some Lucha stuff uh, you mentioned working with some bigger names whether it be in Hood Slam and Lucha, Arena Hayward, anything like that. Any uh, guys, quote, top guys who thought they were too good for the show, should, you know, kind of thought they were slumming it, maybe weren't weren't the best attitude-wise, and you don't have to mention names specifically, uh, because this is name. not a shoot podcast. But I'm, We're shooting. Okay. <laughs> uh, I might not be the sheriff of Hood Slam anymore, but we're still shooting. LA Park was bigger than that show, was slumming it, was the only one that got paid still under his rates but it was actually at uh, Rocapulco mm. uh, where he did his first show and yeah the promoter didn't draw and yeah he, he was yeah he had every reason to be that way um he's still very nice to, you know everybody else around but he was it was clearly a bad day for him and even worse day for Bestia Damien um Little Suzuki who I love um I, I, I love the minis but yeah, no, nobody else. There was that. Um, flip side, uh, I was I worked a, a royal with Caristico, Caristico, and he was he was chill. Like changed this far away from each other, and he was. So, I think more often than not, people don't have the egos, other than like Kenny K when he when it shares M and M's with Hip Hop Perry. <laughs> but yeah. 
Uh, when you're in the ring, what's your pure joy in wrestling? A moment that when it happens, whether it be before the match, during the match, after the match, that happens and you're just like, you get goosebumps. You're like, this is why I love wrestling. This is why I love doing this shit. It's such good shit. What is it? I don't think I'll tell you my number one, but I'll tell you okay. my other ones. Okay. Because uh, I, I guess other than that one, everything else is so significantly lower. But I love doing recorded promos. Um, I love doing the sponsorships. I, w- I wish I could do a sponsorship for every promotion there was. Uh, spilling that beer in the ring, it, w- it was a spot putting over the brewery we were at. It was putting over their beer. Um, yeah, and I, I, I do really like reaching out to the fans. And I don't mind when a, a fan touches me in a nice way. Uh, there was a little boy in Reno who helped me to the back because um, I was hurt and he'd help me and you know, I, he'd know we're going to get him next time we're going to get him next time Crusader and uh, we did we did get him next time there you go all because of that little boy all because of that little boy your, your now, cheers matter and now that little boy is Ray Phoenix no I'm just kidding <laughs> um, any other pranks or embarrassing stories you remember from work in the indies Thanks for embarrassing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really a prank. I think my most embarrassing moment was uh, she had the idea, you're going to be the sheriff of Hood Slam. Great idea. It worked out really well. But when we were doing the card that day where I was dubbed the sheriff and with, to a lot of locker room uh, fanfare, the match after mine was right next to me. And I thought she was looking at me when she was asking for opinions on it. And I was like, well, I don't know. Uh, and the whole room started busting up laughing because they got it. I didn't. They were talking to the guy next to me. And I was just mm. like, oh, man. Like, no, my ego isn't that big. I swear. <laughs> but uh, the, the locker room of Hood Slam is, even when there's a title change or whatever, they're very supportive. And they cheer when there's a title change or anything. You basically have that situation where you wave at someone because you think they're waving at you. Then they're like... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. but instead, instead of it just being like the person you're waving at, the person next to them looking at you, it was the whole block, which is a bunch of people you will see over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope to see them over and over again soon live. As soon as all this nonsense is done, let's promote all the hood slam stuff, all your stuff. Uh, so people yeah. can check it out. Uh, at hood slam on all the social media platforms, birds will fall.com. I can get your merch still. Uh, I believe they ship out weekly. And my personal stuff is at Taboo Tongue. You're welcome to follow me or do any of that. It's more personal, but no problems. And hopefully I'll be doing uh, Boone's Tale, which will kind of go from, tell the story of how Sweet Boone, how Boone became Sweet Sweet Boone and how Sweet Sweet Boone became sour over at Hood's Land. But that should be at Taboo Tongue as well. Fantastic. Thanks again, sir. And I appreciate you coming on today. And and one oh. more thing I'll be on is uh, IndieHandshake.com. IndieHandshake.com? Yes, it is. Yes. We, we just put a couple shirts. We just put a couple shirts yeah. on uh, TeePublic if you want an AEW-style shirt. Yes. That's and those is. are also shipping more off, more frequently than once a week even. Yes. Although they're, although I would wait, uh, this is not good for business. I would wait until you want to have a few shirts on there. You want to order at once. Cause their shipping's kind of a lot. 
So yeah, I was just I would yeah, just yeah. do that. Okay. Well, yeah. So maybe that's why they do it so often. <laughs> yeah. Pro yeah. tip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you.